long before I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, long before I grasped the immense significance of this day, as a family, we, we celebrated uh, this day. Usually it meant new clothes. That, that, there, that proves it. That's my sister and me. I think I was 17, 18. I don't know. I don't know. But, and I, would wear, I could wear bow ties back in those days. Uh, I wouldn't dare do it today. But that was, and, and I had a lot more. I just didn't want to bore you into tears. But we used to dress up every Sunday. About the only time we'd go to church was on, uh, well, we called it Easter Sunday on Resurrection Sunday back then. We celebrated with new clothes. We'd go to church. There was always an amazing dinner at my grandparents out in the country uh, afterwards. There was always a big Easter egg hunt back in those days. And the days, that time was meaningful to me. The memories are special because of all the, uh, uh, the family ties. But see, those pale in comparison, pale in comparison, once I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I understood the true reason why we celebrate, and I really more than celebrate, that we rejoice on what this day indicates, that we serve a risen Savior. The tomb is empty. And folks, i got to tell you, that is rejoicing over. Amen? The two most important events in the history of mankind, the two most important events in the history of mankind is one, creation. The second is the resurrection. The creation brought life. The resurrection brought new life. We need to understand as a congregation, we need to understand that the cross, and we're going to talk about the cross in just a few moments, the cross represents the amazing love of God. That's what the cross represents. The empty tomb, the resurrection, it emphasizes, it demonstrates the amazing power of God. The cross demonstrates His love. The empty tomb demonstrates His awesome power. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And as we read this, I want you to realize what the world calls what I'm doing here this morning as I preach on the cross, foolishness. How do you know that? Because that's what God's Word tells me. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Drop down to verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, and it pleased God by the foolishness of the preaching to save them that believe. 
See, we believe that faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. If we want to reach a lost world, we have to do what the Gentiles consider, and we're all Gentiles here, foolishness. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So that's how we know when we preach and people respond that it is God himself who's moving, that it's the Holy Spirit that's moving and working in those people's lives. The reason you're sitting here this morning as redeemed individuals is because you heard the gospel and by faith you responded and you trusted Christ. The gospel being the fact that Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. And that is the power of God unto salvation. That is the most important message that anyone can ever declare. It has power. Folks, we need to understand that the message, that the truth of God's Word, the gospel, has power. And our loved ones, our friends, our families, our people we work with, we need to understand that their eternal destiny depends on us sharing that gospel with them. And believing that as we share the gospel, as we share this glorious truth, the thing that God's Word tells us that we are to boast in, that we're to glory in the cross, that as we share that message, the power of God is at work in their lives, moving them to trust. And there is not a higher calling anywhere There is no message more important to this sin-cursed world than the one that God has given to each and every one of us to share. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Think about that. He... God the Father made God the Son sin for the perfect, spotless, eternal God Himself was made sin for us, even though He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Wow, what a a trade-off. What a trade-off. My sin for His righteousness Yet a world foolishly rejects and scoffs and refuses by faith to receive that gift of eternal life. My sin for His righteousness. You have that other picture up there, Tim? Of, I, I saw this on Facebook this week, and i got to tell you, that just it moves me. moves me to tears. God's punishment for sin was taken by Christ on the cross who was made sin for us so that we can be made the righteousness of God in Him. I don't know about you. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. That should have been my arm. That should have been my nail. That should have been me. I should have been paying for my own sins. 
But while I was yet a sinner, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He loved me before I ever loved him. See, it's not too difficult to love people who love you. But I got to tell you, he loved me before I ever loved him. And that is amazing, agape love. Romans 4.25, I quoted it just a few moments ago. But I want us to understand the full ramification of those scriptures that he was made sin for us even though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Romans 4.25, he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The word justification means to be declared righteous. And this morning, I encourage each and every one of you to take it personally. Don't think that that's only referring to the person that's sitting next to you. Don't think it's only referring to the preacher that's preaching. It's referring to you personally. For he was delivered for your offenses. And he was raised again for your justification. Now this morning, I want us to take a look at the final week of Christ Jesus. And as I do so, I want you to remember this. That he was, or he is, our Passover. If you want to study more about the Passover, go to Exodus chapter 12. But God's word is clear that Christ Jesus is our Passover. God told Moses, when I, back in Exodus 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over. It was the door, it was the blood that had been struck on the mantle and over the, the doorpost that caused the death angel to see that blood, that sacrificed blood, and move over that household. God's Word tells us that Christ is our Passover. I stand righteous, not because I am, but because He is. So when God sees me, He sees the blood of His only begotten Son. That's how I know my salvation is secure. That's how I know that eternal life is mine. Because I serve a God who was willing to go to such lengths to purchase my redemption, to pay the debt that I owed. And He's a God who cannot nor will not lie. And by faith, I trust Him. So the Sunday before the crucifixion and then the resurrection was a busy day for the Lord Jesus. So many things were taking place that day. The Sunday before was all about the triumphant ride, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When he came riding in and the people laid palm branches down and they shouted, Hosanna. Remember studying and reading about that? That was Nisan the 10th. wasn't just an accident that it happened to take place on that day. That was Nisan the 10th. 
you go back to Exodus 12, it tells us the significance of Nisan the tent. What the Jews were supposed to do on Nisan the tent as Passover was approaching is they were to select the lamb that was to be slaughtered. Each household was to select the lamb that was to be the sacrifice. So as Christ is riding into Jerusalem on that day, the same people that were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, are the same ones that's going to very shortly start saying, crucify him, crucify him. But as he is riding in, what God is literally doing is he is presenting himself as the sacrificial lamb. That's what's going on on that day as he rides in. And it's during these final days that the Lord Jesus assures the disciples that in my Father's house are many mansions. And if I go, I'll, if I, go I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there may you be. It's during that time that he promises to send them a comforter because they're going to need it because they're about to go into the tribulation according to prophecy. But praise be to God that prophecy is interrupted in order for this present dispensation to take, to take place. But it's during that time he tells them he's going to send a comforter. The Last Supper, his teaching concerning the Pharisees and the Sadducees and making them angry, that took place this, that, those few days before the crucifixion. Those Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders of Israel, they hated him. They wanted to see him dead. They wanted to shut him up. See, that was all going on during, during that final week. Then Gethsemane. Then early, early Wednesday morning. You may notice that we do not have a good Friday service here. The reason is because we believe the Bible. Christ was not crucified on Friday. In order for the Bible to be true, and we believe it is, there needs to be three days and three nights. And when the Scripture talks about three days and three nights, it means three days and three nights. The same in Genesis when it talks about in the evening and the morning with the first day, the evening and the morning with the second day, it's referring to full days. Three days, three nights. So in order for Christ to be in the tomb, the specified biblical days, he couldn't have been crucified on Friday. But it was early, early Wednesday that our Lord was betrayed by Judas. And that's one of the reasons because the disciples, remember, they fell asleep in Gethsemane because it was, it was Tuesday night. Late, late, late well, as the way we look at days, we've got to remember under the Jewish calendar and the way the Hebrews worked it, the next day started, it went from sundown to sundown. And so it was already coming to be Wednesday. Christ is betrayed. The arrest 
all the false witnesses to give you an idea of the hardness of their heart, of Israel's heart, the Jews' heart. It's during this time he goes before the high priest. We have Peter's three denials. And now he's before Pilate. Turn with me to Matthew 27, starting with verse 1. When the morning was come, this would be Nisan the 14th. Go back to Exodus 12, you find out that Nisan the 14th was also a special day. It was the preparation day. It was the day that the Passover lamb would be prepared for the sacrifice. That's exactly what's going on with Christ during this time. Before Pilate, before Herod, before his arrest, Gethsemane, all of that is preparation for the Son of God to be the sacrificial lamb. So when the morning was come, I believe that to be Wednesday morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Folks, the word all there is important because it gives you a clear indication of how much they hated him. This is an indictment against these people for rejecting the Messiah that God had promised them. Remember that verse while ago in 1 Corinthians uh, 1? It talks about the Gentiles seek after uh, the preaching of the cross is to uh, the, those that perish foolishness. For the, for the Gentiles, they seek wisdom, but the Jews seek what did it say? A sign. He had given them ample signs. Hey, you raise somebody from the dead, that's a pretty good indication. You're exactly who you say you are. You make the blind to see. You make the deaf to hear. You make the lame to walk. That's a pretty good indication that you are exactly who you claim to be. His miracles were provided to Israel so that they are without excuse. They rejected their promised Messiah because of the hardness of their heart. So all the chief priests and elders of the people, and when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Verses 3 through 10 talks about Judas. Verse 11 through 14 talks about Christ being examined by the governor, by Pilate, and how he remains silent through it all. See, and, and I, I find that strange. Well, I mean, I don't find it strange. I, I, I read this, and my mind goes to Pilate, and I'm certain that when he would hear a case, because it says he marveled. Verse 14 says the governor marveled greatly because he was quiet. I am sure that when Pilate heard a case, it was one of two things. It was somebody coming going, no, 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 I'm not guilty. You're governor. Oh, please, I'd, I'm not guilty. I didn't do those things. I'll behave. I'll be a good boy. Please, please, please don't. Begging for their lives. Or, in a situation like this, those that were spouting sedition, 
and saying things contrary to the government, he would expect them to come and say, yeah, and what are you going to do about it? And trying to get their final word in before the death knell comes. He used to them either begging for their life or trying to make a point. But talk about the silence of the Lamb. He said nothing. And Pilate marveled. Verse 15. Now at that feast, which is the Passover, the governor was wanting to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. We know from Acts 3 that he was a murderer. He was a traitor. Evil man. And deserved the punishment that Christ was about to get. As a matter of fact, Christ took his punishment. What Christ received Barabbas should have received. Kind of reminds me of me. Reminds me of you. Because he received what you and I deserved. But they chose Barabbas. He had never made the blind to see, never made the lame to walk. But they chose Barabbas. Pilate says, who do I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Messiah. Even Pilate called him that. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent it to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. During this short time, six different people, six different people, brought up the fact that the one hanging on Calvary's cross was innocent, did not deserve the punishment he was receiving. Six different people. But the chief priests and elders, here are the religious leaders again, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said unto them, Whether the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all, they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Now, the crime, supposedly, that caused the chief priest to arrest him to begin with was blasphemy. And according to the law, crucifixion was not. See, they were breaking the law even by declaring that this was the punishment he was going to receive. Should have been stoning. Under the law, his crime should have been stoning. That was the law. See, it wasn't good enough. Talk about evil. Let him be crucified. Destroy him. And the governor said, why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our 
children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Just the scourging was enough to take the life of a man. The scourging was brutal, cruel, and horrific. The Lord Jesus Christ was literally taking the place of Barabbas. What a picture. What a demonstration. And he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered into him the whole band of soldiers, 600 600 men were gathered in this common hall watching the spectacle that was taking place. And they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hell, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and I read that and I think, how do you spit upon the one that said, let there be light, and there was light? How do, how do you do that? How do you spit upon the one that holds the universe together and keeps it sustained and from flying apart? But they spit upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on the head and that was in order to get the thorns to go deeper into his brow. Cruel. And after that, they mocked him and they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man, a Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross because, folks, at this, by this time, he was physically not able to bear, to bear the cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. Gall is a painkiller. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. He didn't want the pain to be eased any at all. And they crucified him. This is about 9 o'clock on Wednesday morning, the sun, the 14th. And they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, You that destroys the temple and you build it in three days, save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Looking for another sign. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. 
Now from the sixth hour, about noon, from about the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. See, the light of the world was slowly dying. Was going, the light of the world was going out. Darkness. And about the ninth hour, about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? <clears throat> and some of them that stood there, And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, no gall at this time. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He gave up his ghost. No man took his life from him. He gave it up himself freely. He cried, which says cried, it is with a loud voice. John 19.30 tells us what he cried. He cried with a loud voice, it is finished. And I think he cried with a loud voice because at 3 o'clock, and the Bible is very specific, the shofar horn was sounding alerting everyone, sacrifice, kill the, the lamb. And as he heard that shofar horn sound, alerting, it is time, kill the lamb. At that precise time, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world gave up his life. And he said, it is finished. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. Hey, creation is convulsing at the death of the Creator. That doesn't surprise me at all. And the graves were open, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. They came out of the graves for his resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And when centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Christ is taken down off the cross. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. Verse 66, so they went and they made the sepulcher sure. We're not going to let these guys come back and steal the body. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And in the end of the Sabbaths, plural, this week had two Sabbaths. It had the regular Sabbath, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. That was the regular Sabbath. But this week was a high Sabbath because of the Passover. And as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, on Sunday, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not. Oh, what a wonderful announcement. The greatest news, the greatest message that has ever gone forth is fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Folks, we serve a risen Savior. And I'm telling you, he didn't stay dead, and he's not going to stay gone. Amen? He didn't stay dead, and he's not going to stay gone. You can expect him at any moment. We serve a risen Savior. He is not here, for he is risen. You know what, one of the most fascinating things to me, and I'm going to share this and we'll be done. And I think this is important. One of the most fascinating things that we witness and we see today is an observance that most Jewish families exercise during Passover, where they have the Passover meal. And they have all the different elements. They have all the different parts of the Passover meal, the Seder meal. And there's something unsuspected that's become part of that. And they can't really decide, when did this start? This wasn't part of the original. When, when did this aspect become part of this, the Passover meal? And it's a Greek word. How in the world did a Greek word end up in a Jewish observance? And that Greek word is afikomen. You ever heard of afikomen? Afikomen is a linen bag. Now listen to this, folks. The afikomen is a linen bag and three matzah pieces of matzah bread are put into this one bag. These three pieces are put into this one bag. The second piece of bread, I don't know why, I mean, I do know why it's not the first, I do know why it's not the third. I do know why it's the second. Those that are observing it and take that second piece out and break it. Well, why the second piece? This is taking place during a Jewish Passover meal. Then that piece of bread is taken and it's hidden away. And it's something that the children enjoy doing. It's sort of like an Easter egg hunt to them. They... And they claim, well, that's dessert. That's, that shows that it's the end of when they do that. 
And the child that goes and finds that broken piece of bread, brings it back, they win a prize. No one can tell you when that was incorporated into the Passover meal. I believe that it was early believers, it was early Christians that wanted to get the message out to their Jewish friends and loved ones and family. You know what Afi Coleman means? Do you know what it means? The root word there is afikominos. Afikominos. Used in the Arius tense. It means he came. He came. So all of your Jewish friends, as they've been observing the Passover, and they take that afikomen, and they take that second piece of bread out, and they break it, and they go and hide it. And the person that finds it, he receives a prize. Oh, if that's not a picture of Christ. He came, and that's what we're celebrating. He came, he died, and he's coming again. Amen. God has not left us without a testimony. The world has to personally reject what the, this truth tells us and informs us about because it is there. In all of its glory, all of its splendor, demonstrating all of God's love. And He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our service. And as I said, He didn't stay dead, and He's not going to stay gone. Tim, can we play that 